The future is now. Finding the NOSO has never been easier. Subscribe to us on our new YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and bookmark the new home for No Holds Barred, The Jenny Position, Wrestling War Zone, and all your favorite NOSO podcasts at NorthSouthConnection.com. It's New Year, New NOSO, NorthSouthConnection.com. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude. Come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 yo. Place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude. Cause you don't wanna be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Come on, me, yes. We call it the, uh, the place, the place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do worse than Josh Richards. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Nation. Welcome back to another great episode of the one and only Place to Be Podcast. I'm your co-host Justin Rosero. Coming at you here on this Monday evening inside the PTBN studios. And joining me as always is my PSC, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening. Good evening, PTB Wrestling Network. Welcome to episode 621. The longest running episodic by the fucking cold as we are now 21. 79 from seven bills <laughs> I mean, slow lot, march so. slow march it is it, it seems like it and then it's not though we always say that every year and then i feel like it goes from 79 to like 13 <laughs> in like a, a bat of an eye but uh anyway uh happy new year everyone and uh jr always a pleasure uh sir mm-hmm. um i have to say uh um this has been an odd winter i know you and i usually talk weather um at least for well, you and I live, don't live far away, so we pretty much share the weather. But uh, I feel like it's not been—I mean, like Christmas was fucking freezing, but pretty much since like New Year's Eve, I don't think we've gone Listen, below I've, thirty. I've gone over my seasons theory. I'm telling you, like the, the seasons have shifted. Winter now begins yeah. like late January uh, and yep. not December anymore. So I, I think the way it's been the last few years, I feel like it's kind of been like this in January. And then, like, February into, like, mid-March will be, like, the real kind of right. cold winter and, like, snow and all that. That's kind of what happened last year. So we'll see. I'm sure yeah. it's this tradition when a, group, a contingent of the nation is traveling for the Royal Rumble. There'll be a massive snowstorm on that Friday. Gary, you can lock uh, down. I hope not. I hope you guys, uh, I hope you guys uh, have a good, uh, nice, safe trip. Uh, to, we'll see. I'm waiting. What John and I were talking about when he was in. I was like, we're, we're definitely going to like just get, watch the radar that Friday. 100%. Lock it down. Lock it down. I actually, I, I, I'm, I'm going to say this. Uh, I think 
I'm not going to I want none. I want you guys to be safe. But if there is bad weather, I have a bad feeling it's going to be going home, not getting there. That's fine. Just going to get there. Can figure so, out. I think you'll get there. I think you'll get there. We'll see. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see so how things uh, progress. But yeah, here we are. We're um, on the doorstep. Also, Scott, of a birthday, of course. The podcast started February 11th, yes. 2011. So our next yes. episode kind of worked out nicely. Uh, two weeks from now, mm-hmm. we'll be doing WrestleMania. We get a couple of cool little treats planned for that. Um, and that'll, of course, be our birthday celebration. So that's that's always a fun time. It is. Absolutely. I can't believe we've hit. My God, what does it now be? I always do this. What is it? 12th birthday. No. 12th anniversary. 11th birthday. Is that how that works? Yeah, I think it's no. 12th. No. 11th anniversary. Know. 12th birthday. Something yeah, like that. Anyway. We're over a decade. WrestleMania screwed up our brains when it comes to anniversaries. I know, and, I know right? Roman numerals and real numerals and all that. Prime yeah. numbers and all that bullshit. Anyway. Yeah, no, it's our 12th Speaking birthday, so we're, we're looking forward to that. Absolutely. Speaking of WrestleMania, we are in our timeline. We are, mm-hmm. of course, in early 09, and we are one show away from the 25th WrestleMania. Uh, this is kind of, they always call this the uh, the end of the road. Um uh, and this show is one of those ones that I feel like it's kind of hidden under the radar. But before we get into it and get into anything else, Jr., let us bring in the third member of the Trinity tonight. Yeah, you know him, of course. He's uh, He's been on the show quite a few times before, and he's on various yes. other podcasts across our family of networks, including running the ship over at the Mount Rushmore on the PlayStation Pop Experience. There's our good buddy, Mr. Steve Riddle. Steve, how are you? Hello, Steve. I'm I'm doing good. It's glad to be glad to be back. It's been a while. I think the last time I was on, um, besides the um, the Christmas episodes, was uh, WrestleFest '88, which was uh, geez that long, really? I think so. Yeah. Wow. I mean, okay. I'll take I'll take a look right now. I'm gonna take a look now. Right. Well, it's good to have you back here for sure. Um, you know, I was just looking over the uh, NFL like away and home game got released today, and the Jets are at the Raiders this year. So. I know, Steve. I may be coming to see you again in Vegas. We'll see if I can line things up. Come visit. Get another tour. I'll be able to walk this time, hopefully. <laughs> we don't have to yeah. hobble you over the curb. I may even <laughs> join you for that. I love I love the Legion. That was that's a great place to watch stuff. And of course we went there for SummerSlam. I would definitely go back. So I'll see I, what I, weekend lines up, but go out and go and visit the Riddler. We'll see what we can do. Yeah, WrestleFest eighty eight was on oh my really, Steve? August twenty seventh. 2018 was the last time again no again. way wow well like uh, i said besides the um besides we've well, been on like three i've been on like three, and, uh, three christmas plays since then <laughs> yeah, yeah i think true. episode 500 too so but yeah, it's, yeah. Been, right. it's been a while but just to circle back quickly yeah hard to believe it's been 12 years for this uh for the for this podcast you know it's been a long time it's been a great ride so far and i'm glad to have been a part of it since the very beginning you have and we appreciate also the awesome uh, piece itself on PlayStation.com that you did for um, was it for 500 you did it for the when you went through the history of the archives or was that for our birthday last year was uh, the 600, 600 600 600 right 600 okay. yeah yeah yep, yeah yep. yeah that was a great that was piece. awesome we, we were super appreciative of that when you went through the whole yes. archive and kind of documented each season of the show and all that so that was, that was awesome. awesome thank you and of course uh, credit as well Steve uh, provides our fun facts uh, for every show as well now our kind of information and news and notes so. Appreciate that too, of course. Big part of the show, as always. Even though you haven't been on in five years, we appreciate it. It isn't. I, there's a bunch of Steves. There have been a ton of Steves, but it's been Bennett, not you. Yeah, <laughs> right. Bennett's been on a ton, but there you go. It's good to have you back, though, Steve. Um, um, all right. So before we get into our current 
uh, show on our timeline here. Scott, why don't you kick things off and tell us what was going on in the world of wrestling this week in 1995? Yeah, uh, of course, the date is February 15th. And Mm -hmm. guess what? I got nothing. It was Ah. a quiet day. Yeah, quiet both the WWF and uh, WCW. Of course, WWF uh, is in the midst of the build to WrestleMania 11 which I'm sure the uh, the Herbinator will mention uh, uh, will mention in his notes, Jr. That you will give. Uh, WCW. Uh, let me see. When was? Let me take a quick check here. When was? Um, Super Brawl was February nineteenth. Yeah. So Super Brawl. Yeah. Super Brawl. What was it? Super uh, Brawl Saturday. Jeez, <laughs> Bill. Whatever the hell his name was. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, Super Brawl. I don't know. It was actually, yeah, Super Brawl 5 would be, uh, yes, would be four days from now, February 19th, 1995, in uh, in the WWF's backyard, actually, the arena in Baltimore, where, of course, the previous year's uh, King of the Ring was. And uh, I won't get into the show. JR's got all the notes for you. So they were quiet. No house shows, nothing on this date. So, JR, why don't you uh, fire up the herb as we are in February of 1995? This is an interesting year. Like, I feel like it's a, it's cool to compare kind of. So, like, we did 08 versus 94 mm-hmm. in the world of wrestling. I, th- I think maybe early in the year, 94 probably had 08 beat. But by the end of the year, I'd say 08. Looking back, 08 yeah. is better than – and I think this year is going to be interesting. Because 09 <laughs> doesn't have the best rep in the world of WWE overall. But also, obviously, 95 is a pretty down year across the board for both WCW and the WWF. Of course, ECW is great, but – and yeah. as far as North American wrestling goes, <clears throat> the two, the big two were, were down quite a bit. So see how that goes. Yes. All right. Let's get into some herb. We are looking at February 3rd, 1995. Was Eric Bischoff crazed on this past weekend's worldwide wrestling or what? First, he rambled about Tom Burton being a big star in UWF in Japan as a shoot fighter and said, we'll see how that style held up against WCW's finest, the Nasty Boys. He made some several <laughs> comments to this effect. He then went off to uh, about Jerry Sags being a real tough guy. And he said he heard a story about Jerry laying a world of hurt on Ken Shamrock after Shamrock offended him. I guess Eric finds it easier to blast promotions that get good buy rates with limited exposure than to approve his own product. Everyone is talking about the warlord coming to WCW. No word on whether he'll be bringing his magic wand. There's also been talk about Lex Luger jumping to WCW, but recent talk has him staying with WDF for another renewed push that the fans will probably reject yet again. Super Brawl, <laughs> February 19th. Hogan versus Vader, Sting and Savage versus Bubba and Avalanche, Jim Duggan versus Bunkhouse Buck, Dave Sullivan versus Kevin Sullivan, Nasty Boys versus Harlem Heat for the tag team titles, Dustin Rhodes versus Blacktop Bully, Alex Wright versus Paul Roma, and Scott, like we talked about in the last episode. Mm-hmm. He still has Coco Beware versus Tito Santana listed on this card. It's <laughs> <laughs> a cruiserweight tourney match, potentially. Everything except the final match has been announced on TV. No shit. The Duggan versus Buck match is risk at risk after recent talks that Duggan wants out of WCW. Is he back in or is WCW too lazy to redo event centerpieces? Close call. There's also a lot of talk that Flair will be worked into Hogan versus Vader and eventually team with Vader to take on Hogan and friends. Uh, Steve, what do you think of Coco versus Tito at a, at a Super Brawl 5? I mean, I know Coco's a, a short guy, but I never would have, you know, labeled him as a cruiserweight. Right. Ridiculous. It's funny. I mean, that's a pretty like iconic MSG match. Scott. I remember that we covered way back yes. uh, where they were both faces and kind of worked heel. But uh, yeah. I don't I don't see them running that one back at Super Brawl. Uh, no, <laughs> I, no, I seriously doubt it. 
Um, uh, what was that, 80, 88? 90, I think. I'm pretty sure it was 90. Was it 90? I'll double yeah. check. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uncensored on March 19th, Hogan versus Vader. There's also talk that the Steiners will be returning to WCW for this show. WF has WrestleMania 11 on April 2nd. Diesel versus Shawn Michaels for the world title. Also rumored are Bam Bam Bigelow versus Lawrence Taylor and Undertaker versus King Kong Bundy. On paper, those two could be the worst of the match, worst match of the year candidates to be added in one week. So uh, he was right on one of them, but not the other. All right, let's go ahead to February 9th. Weird rumors abound about Jesse Ventura. The most believable story is Jesse debuting a Shawn Michaels replacement color commentator on Monday Night Raw, February 20th. It's a little surprising with all that has gone down between Vince and Jesse since their parting of the ways, but stranger things have happened. A stranger rumor has Jesse becoming part of the new organization that will feature in-ring talents of Rick Rude, Don Morocco, and Jimmy Snuka. I've heard February 28th as the first date of a TV taping, a location unknown. <laughs> all right, let's unpack this for a second. So, first of all, Jesse coming in 95 dirty would have been awesome because they were... They were hurting. I mean, they had King, but that was about it. So Jesse would have been great addition. Um, and I cannot imagine a new promotion starting with Rude, Morocco, Snuka, and Jesse in 1995. No. no that's dreadful. <laughs> that's dreadful. I mean, Morocco and Snuka were in when ECW started in 1993, and they were right. watched that in 92. I mean, three years later, trying to happen. Melzer mentioned he heard the stories of the Nasty Boys beating up Ken Shamrock two-on-one, which is a little different from Eric Bischoff's commentary where he said Jerry Sags put a world of hurt on Shamrock by himself. Sid Vicious will apparently debut as Shawn Michaels' new bodyguard, no doubt playing a key role in the likely title change at WrestleMania. Egad, a Vicious versus Diesel feud, is one of the worst non-Undertaker feuds WF could do. There was talk that Jean, Jean-Paul Levesque would debut in the bodyguard role in his jump from WCW, but WCW's held Levesque to his contract, so he cannot appear until late May. Yokozuna will return to the WF at some point down the road. Speaking of Levesque, his brief new tag team partner, Lord Steve Regal, has already been paired with a new partner. It seems Sir Robert Eaton has been hiding his royal heritage all these years and has finally decided to abandon the Roos. The two will team with the snappy name of the Blue Bloods. At a recent Superstars taping, they held a Head Shrinkers versus Smoking Guns tag title match, or so the Blue Brothers run in for a no contest, with all three teams fighting each other. This has led to some speculation they may do a triangular tag match a la Smoky Mountain at WrestleMania. Super Brawl on February 19th, the same listing. He's still got Coco Tito listed there. Uh, maybe it'll be dark or not happen at all since it's not been mentioned on TV, according to Herb. A lot of talk about Flair and the Snyder Brothers debuting. It's expected Flair and Savage or Sting will be worked into Vader Hogan. Uh, Vader Hogan's listed for Uncensored still. Same three matches for Mania. WCW is Slamboree on May 21st. This card will supposedly feature the in-ring return of Ric Flair, who was supposed to officially retire at Starcade five months earlier. Now, if they're bringing Flair back as a babyface, then the argument could be made that the fans would be happy with the move and not feel screwed by a violation of previous stipulation. With Flair coming back as a heel, the only thing can legitimize it is that Hogan begs for it. So in theory, anyhow, the fans support the move because the babyface wants it. That leads to the conclusion that Flair will have to play a major role in something to piss off Hogan and his fans. All right, any thoughts on uh, that batch? The uh, Coco-Tito match was actually January 91. Oh, okay, wow, even later than I thought. Yeah, I gave it three and a half. <laughs> wow. I gave it three and a half. He gave it three. Um, uh, I mean, other than <laughs> really 1995, the best way to draw in uh, a crowd is Jesse fucking Snook at Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the best way to, to give 1995 its due? Make 1983 all over again. Right. I mean, maybe it would have been better. I don't know. Steve, any thoughts uh, on that batch? 
Yeah, that that's crazy. I mean, what would they have? What would he have expected Rude to do? Because because Rude had gotten hurt by that point, so he could right. he wouldn't have been able to do much. Right. Yeah, he got hurt when ninety four, so maybe it wasn't known yet, like how bad it was. Maybe it was kind of expected he was going to be back sooner or later. Still, Mm-mm. that's what I'm thinking. But I I mean, because he's in, he's gone for a while, and then, uh, isn't he in? Uh, when does he start doing stuff in WCW? Uh, not WCW. I'm sorry. When does he start doing stuff in ECW? Ninety six. No, very early ninety seven, like January. Okay. So after he gets hurt in 94, he pretty much does nothing, right? Yeah, no, he's not. I don't know if he does anything in Japan or Independence or anything, but yeah, he's right. not in WCW until he shows up at the Mass Man. It's like one of the first shows in January. And he's there until he goes to WCW. I mean, the whole time he's in WWF, he's there still. Right. So he doesn't leave until the, the WCW jump at the end. So he's pretty much in ECW the whole year. Right. Okay. Could you imagine if um if Levesque had come in as Sean's bodyguard, how weird that would have looked? I know. I know. It's not like he's substantially bigger than him or anything. I know. They're like practically at that time they were practically the same size. <laughs> that would have been really fucking weird. I don't think that would have worked. <laughs> All right, our final batch of herb uh, starts with a very lengthy Dave Meltzer cup cup pace review from a February fourth ECW show. Um. Like Melster just kind of goes through the whole thing, talks about Bischoff's issues with ECW and how they talk about it, um, talks about the fans. So I, I don't know. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. It's all Melserized. But if you're if you're interested in a Dave Melser write up on ECW, uh, and you either don't have a Observer a Classic Observer subscription, you can go to the Herb Coons notes from February 16th, 1995. He, he cribs the whole thing here. Um, WCW has brought Tom Zenk back in the fold. Zenk quit All Japan because his pay raise re- request was swashed. Despite enjoying some success in WCW's last run in the company, Storm Work is nothing more than a glorified jobber. Maybe he'll be used to the cruiserweight division. He's obsessed with this cruiserweight division. <laughs> Jesus. The strangest occurrence of the Orlando tapings was Butcher's face turn, taking on the moniker The Man with No Name. Melzer reports that the idea could be credited to Polly Dangerously, who was going to use the gimmick with 911, but thought better of it. Super Bowl on this Sunday has the full card, including Coco Beware versus Tito Santana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What is this, the day before? I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, it's pretty much a couple days before. <laughs> Everything except the final match has been announced on TV, so maybe it'll be dark or won't happen at all, but there has been talk about Tito coming in. We should expect maybe an appearance Tito Coco the... will be the main event. <laughs> Jesus. We should expect an appearance of the Steiners and the surprise of Ric Flair as Vader's manager. On last week's Saturday night, Flair gave a good interview, saying that he promised not to wrestle, but they didn't rule him out of participating in a sport they need that needs him. Did they, everyone notice how they insultingly cut away from Hogan-Vader clash before Hogan popped up from Vader's powerbomb? May we all imagine that happening. There's a little confusion about the Hogan-Vader series. Originally, everyone figured it would be a feature a series of non-finishes. After Meltzer reported that Vader wanted to extend his current contract, more people are now expecting Vader to eventually do clean jobs for Hogan. For what it's worth, in pre-taped interviews, Hogan talks about his victory over Vader at Super Bowl. WCW has a pay-per-view called Uncensored. Rumored lineup has Hogan versus Vader. WrestleMania 11 on April 2nd, Diesel versus Shawn Michaels, Bam Bam Bigelow versus Lawrence Taylor, The Undertaker versus King Kong Bundy, and Bret Hart versus Bob Backlund. It's now bearing rumor that Sid Justice will make his debut as Shawn Michaels' bodyguard at this show, facilitating the title change and generating a dreadful-sounding Diesel-Sid feud. Evans reporting that Taylor will get uh, $100,000 for his match at Mania. Slamboree on May 21st, Hogan and Savage versus Vader and Flair, Sting versus Bubba, 
and Kevin Sullivan, so the man with no name. And then he's just got some old freaking classic interview in here. Uh, all right, so not a ton going on here in Herb's world. We'll see how he reacts to the no Coco Tito happening at Super Bowl in our next episode. But any final thoughts uh, oh, yeah. on any of this before we move along? No, just yeah, this is the fact that he's probably you know he could he watches Super Bowl and he's just you know wondering himself what that uh, Coco Tito match would have been. <laughs> mm. Uh, we we didn't need the title change, and clearly, as we found out, we didn't need the title change for the shitty Diesel Sid feud. <laughs> so <laughs> it didn't really matter anyway. We still got shitty Diesel Sid, so <laughs> it's either the belt didn't matter. But I don't know why he's upset. First off, two things. I don't know why this Coco Tito thing is like ingrained in his brain. I don't understand. I know he's Canadian and all, and they love the '80s, but I mean, Jesus. And number two, um. I, I, had they already? I thought like the cruiserweight. Did, I guess they had. I guess they had suspended the cruiserweight belt or whatever. I guess that they have to have a tournament or was there a vacating? I don't remember now. They. Yeah, I don't remember. WCW, the cruiserweight like, title was it was a light heavyweight title ninety two. They kind of just let it right. die, and then right. there were rumors all through the year that they were going to bring it back, but it doesn't return until early ninety six when they did the. Mystery tournament, Otani wins, and then it goes from there. Right. And it goes from there. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, that's about it. Just Tito and stuff. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so that's that. Interesting news and notes, as always, of course, from Herb. And mm-hmm. we'll say this. If we tune into Super Brawl this weekend and we see Coco Tito, Herb can go ahead and take a bow, which, of course, is the number two song in the nation this week madonna's take a bow tlc creep still number one brings us into scott criscolo's vintage pop culture corner uh thank you jr and yes creep because uh a diesel city feud would only be for the creeps at number one, uh, yes, Take a Bow by Madonna at two. Uh, Unbended Knee by Boys to Men at three. Another Night by Real McCoy at four. Baby by Brandy at five. You gotta be, you gotta be, you gotta be bad, you gotta be bold. Desiree at number six. Great song. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that because we're now we're in the second half of my senior year in college, so I totally like remember all, all these songs from the, from the spring. Candy Rain by Soul For Real. Always by Bon Jovi. Because, uh, uh, what was that? Keep the Faith was that album. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sukiyaki by 4 p.m. at 9. And Hold My Hand. And then, a, oh, my God, this album. Wow, this was, yeah, 95. Mm-hmm. Hold My Hand by Hootie and the Blowfish. I remember seeing them the following year. Hold on tour my hand. And, uh, I liked Let Her Cry. I thought that was a better song. Anyway, there's your top ten for this week. And that's February. all the same album, right? Yes. Fair, uh, not Fair with the Johnson. No, what the hell was the first one called? Fairweather Johnson was the second one. Uh, uh, was it just the... Uh, the flavored water just... and the chocolate starfish, I think. No, that's... <laughs> that's <laughs> limp. We already did WrestleMania 17. Get the song out of your head. I heard Nookie uh, tonight. I'm like, you know, I'm surprised no one's remade that beat. Like, not the main one, but the, the one throughout the song. I was just thinking that, actually. It's a cracked rear view. That's so it. Correct. It had hold my hand, let her yep. cry, only want to yep. be with you in time. Yep. I mean, that's like that's a ridiculously loaded. Oh, it was an amazing. Oh, it was amazing. It was an amazing album. They were great on that tour. 
uh, I enjoyed them a lot. That was a fun, that was a fun, uh, fun album. They're back Their Their follow-up Fairweather Johnson was bad weather shit. <laughs> and then they broke up and Darius now does country. I mean, since uh, that came they, out in 94, hold my hand, hit 10 on the charts, mm-hmm. the, the main U S chart, 10 letter right. cry was nine. Only want to be with you was six and time was 14. I mean, I mean, that's absurd. It is absurd. Uh, that, Four that top was, 15 hits from that one album. It's it's out of the, it's crazy. You didn't see that a lot in the '90s. You saw it a lot in the '80s, but you didn't see it a lot in the '90s. Uh, usually, albums had like one or two cuts, and then the videos and the tours did everything. But all right, so let us go from the radio to the movies. What happened on this weekend, February seventeenth, nineteen ninety-five? At number ten, Nobody's Fool, uh, Paul Newman. Number nine, Pulp Fiction, still cranking it out. Uh, at number eight, Forrest Gump, still making a ton, 303 million to this point. Boys on the Side at number seven, Legends of the Fall at number six. Is that the one with Brad Pitt and the fishing? I think so. I think, I think that's the Brad Pitt fishing movie. Number five, The Quick and the Dead. I think that's a, uh, I think that is a, uh, I think that's a Western. Number four is a great one. And it probably is the movie that began this guy's, uh, right in the midst of his SNL domination. Uh, this was the one I think that kind of began his movie run. Billy Madison, mm-hmm. uh, number four, which of course was the first big movie for Mr. Sandler. Um, so, and then three debuts that weekend at number three, Heavyweights, which was oh, a, it's a Disney great movie. movie. Yeah, Heavyweights. Awesome movie. Ben Stiller. What? I'm 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 brain brain farting. Is that it's a fat boxing? camp? No, it's a fat camp where the kids have to go to fat camp and Ben Stiller's the uh, camp counselor. He's like, oh, right. That's right. No, that's a, that's a great movie. Yeah. So that 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 made its debut this on this weekend. Jerry Stiller's two. in it, too. They're both in it. Oh, really? Oh, OK. Uh, it's a Disney movie. Oh, that's a great Disney movie about fat kids. That's nice. <laughs> well, it's a good message. That, they, show yeah. that they, should, they shouldn't be in fat camp. Right? Yeah. Love them just the way uh, they are. Um, at number two, Just Cause, which I think is. Grisham? Is that a Robert Grisham book? Just Cause? Maybe that if was not, a... If it's not a Disney movie about fat kids, I'm out. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to do a, uh, a, a live watch of it. And the number one movie making its debut on this weekend, the Brady Bunch movie. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. Right? Who was... I'm trying to think who was... Who was Gary Cole was... Uh, yeah, he's the dad. Was the dad, right? Mm-hmm. And then was the mom. I don't know. Maureen uh, McCormick was a uh, not Maureen McCormick. That's, that's a real that was, one. Uh, uh, what's her name? Was Chris, yes, Christine, Christine Christine Taylor, who literally looks exactly like Maureen McCormick. Yeah. Anyway, so the Brady Bunch movie was the number one movie. It, it was a uh, oh god, who was the friggin' hang on. Um, you look it up now. The mom, uh, Shelley Long. Shelley Long. There you go. Um, Maureen McCormick was in it. She played Kitty. Betty Thomas directed it. Betty Thomas, I think, was the uh, cop on Hill Street Blues. Um, let's see who else is in that. Henry M. and Crystal Jamper, Christine Taylor. We know Olivia, David Graff. He was still alive. Michael McKean, Gene Smart. Um, Marissa Rabisi. Is that Giovanni's like sister? Probably. Um, oh, Uncle Phil was in it. James Avery mm-hmm. and RuPaul, among others. So there you go. Oh, here are the cameos. Florence Henderson was in it. And B. Yeah. Davis, who played the original Alice. Uh, Barry Williams, the original Greg. Christopher Knight, the original Peter. And three of the four monkeys. Davy Jones, Mickey Dolenz, and Peter Torkorst, Davy Jones. Christopher Knight in this left. picture they use looks more like the Red Knight from Survivor Series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Blue Knight. I'm sorry. I botched that. The Blue Knight. The Blue Knight. Was, the the blue knight. was that Greg Valentine? <laughs> yeah. 
shit. Anyway, all right. So there's the top 10 movies this weekend, February 17th, 1995. Uh, let's go now to uh, the NBA. What was going on in the NBA? And I, I actually, I'm very happy for you, JR, for this uh, at this moment, because I'm about to do something that we haven't done ever in the history of Pop Culture Corner for a certain team. So on this date, February 15th, 1995, we had seven games. Uh, let's see, the Bulls won, Cleveland won in overtime, Celtics beat the uh, Warriors by a point. This was Dominique's back end of his career when he was with the Celtics. He had 30 in that game. Uh, Indiana blew out the Pistons, Lakers won, uh, Minnesota and Phoenix won in overtime. Charles had 35. So here are the division standings. Uh, the Orlando Magic, of course, Penny and Shaq leading the uh, Atlantic at 38 and 11. First place in the Central Division, your Charlotte Hornets. I'm calling out First Steve team. Rogers right here who had the balls to basically say they were the that. worst team with the most popular jacket. I they were that. good in the 90s, man. It's, it's like over, were, overlooked. They were good. They, they hit some good teams good. just like everyone else, just like yep. the Jazz and the Blazers and the Spurs and like the Sonics, like all these teams that were really the Knicks, like all these teams were really good in the nineties that all just ran into buzzsaws yeah. and the, the Hornets were sacked. The only thing that derailed them was having a cheap ass owner that consistently yes. broke and sold off their, their top players. But I, they were from when they beat the Celtics in that playoff series in 93, they had a, a pretty good little stretch. They beat the Knicks. I mean, uh, they lost the Knicks in that one. But then the next year, like I said, and this this season coming up right here is the year they got screwed against Jordan. That you know they, they had a pretty good season and got hosed. So, yeah. At this at this moment, uh, now remember this is the strike year, right? No, no, that was later. I'm, no, I'm thinking no, that's ninety nine. No, that's 99. We're, no we're, I'm thinking of hockey. It was a strike year for hockey. We'll get to hockey in a minute. Uh, they're thirty one and eighteen. I mean, the Bulls at this point were twenty four and twenty five. So I mean, the ninety six ninety seven team goes uh 54 and 28 yeah i don't know what's the I saw that 98 team. 99 they were they won over, they were over 500 like they yeah i don't know what steve rogers talking about i have no idea what he's talking about. i saw that too and i'm like he's he's not of his calling mind. your ass out rogers yeah right steve come on buddy you know i stick up for you a lot but that that's here's that's, a record that's, by year here's a record by year really quick so they were they sucked in 91 92 92 93 they were 44 and 38 they took a step back Missed the playoffs the next year. They went 41-41. Still 500. The next year, they won 50 games. We're finished in fourth place. That's the season we're talking about right now. They got screwed. They had to play the Bulls. The next year, again, they went uh, 500, missed the playoffs. But still, 500. Like, not a bad season. It's still right there. A year later, they won 54 games. The next year, they won 51 games. Uh, then the strike season, they still went 26 and 24. The next year, they won 49 games. They finished fifth. The next year, they won 46 games. And that's the 90s. So, I mean, that's... They had like one bad year in 91, 92, when they were only four years into existence. And from there, they never finished below 500 and often finished well above 500. For the this is their roster. This is the 94, 95. Yeah. Alonzo Mourning, Muggsy Bogues, Del Curry. I can tell you. <laughs> I don't have to look at right. it. Del Curry, Muggsy Bogues, Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson. Um, Scotty uh, Burrell. Scotty Burrell is the other guy. So, yep. The other yep. guy. Kenny Glenn Cass. Rice would show up eventually, but yep. Hersey yeah, Hawkins. Kenny Addison, yes. Was Jaminski there? Or was he on the big box? Uh, no, he was not there. No, you had, uh, they had, uh, they had back end Robert Parrish. Yes. He was on the yep. at that point. David Wingate, former Hoya. Yeah. This roster is, they had good shooters. They had a big man. They had grandma Ma who was doing everything at that point. Mm -hmm. This team was very good. I don't know what Steve Rogers is talking about. Smoking something. Yeah. In fact, you know what? I'm going to click on the 94-95 Knicks. All right? All right. They had Greg <laughs> Anthony. I mean, they, they had Doug Christie. Anthony. 
Yeah, they had Patrick, of course, who was in his prime. Uh, Derek Harper, Anthony Mason, Charles Oakley, Charles Smith. I mean, they had a bunch of they had a bunch of th- and look, I love, I love the mid '90s Knicks, but they had a bunch of thugs. They didn't have anybody. They, there was no. They were like the Devils. There was no skill on any of these teams. Not even John Starks, who was a decent shooter. Maybe Charlie Ward was a good ball handler, but these guys, they were just, they were there to beat you up. That's pretty much what they did. They beat you up. And that wasn't enough to get them a a world championship. And it sucks. They didn't have those guys that could, you know, a better shooter would not have gone two for 17 in game seven at the summit against the Rockets. It just wouldn't have happened. So sorry, Steve, I'm not, I can't back you up on this one. The Hornets were a very, very good team that had some bad breaks. Um, yeah, they, Utah. they definitely got that one year. This year is the one they got. I mean, I was, I was so upset, mm. um, about it, but yeah, Utah was starting to grow little by little. They were 35 and 14 and leading the Midwest, but the best team at this moment in the season was, uh, Sir Charles and, and the Suns. Mm-hmm. Phoenix was 39 and 10 at this point. I remember the fucking Suns team was, was I think well, they were better than that 93 team. Yeah, the Rockets team that makes the finals wasn't even that great, right? Was this year weren't they almost like 500 or something? Well, they're the, the, they're 30, well they're 30 and 17 at this point and okay. I don't think they got and I don't think they had made the trade for Clyde yet. That's right. Wasn't there so, one of the, I thought there was one year, maybe it's the year after that where they're shaky but they get kind of far. I know the don't the Suns get upset like in this playoffs by someone they shouldn't lose to. Is it Utah yeah. then? It's someone. Well, the year before is the year that 94 was the year that Seattle lost to no, no, I know that. I thought yeah. there was the year where the Suns were good and they end up losing like in the early rounds when they shouldn't. I think it's Barkley's. This is last year, right there. No, it was here. They uh, they swept the tw- they swept Portland in the first round and then Houston beat them in seven. Right, but what was Houston's seed? Uh, they were worse. Uh, right? Houston was probably a. Let me see. Houston was third in the Midwest, so they were probably like a seven seed. I mean, yeah. they played Utah in the first round, and Utah probably was the two seed. So they're probably right. a seven. They're probably a seven seed. Yeah, so, so they were like under, you know, they ended up winning the championship that year, but they were, they definitely didn't finish like near the top. No, and they got better and better. They, they, then they beat, they beat the Suns, and they beat San Antonio in six. And then if you, obviously, if you remember, they beat, uh, they swept Orlando because, uh, what's his name? Um, couldn't hit the free throws. Right, Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson. Couldn't yeah, the Rockets free. were the sixth seed. They finished 47 and 35. So the they were 12 games behind the Suns. The Spurs actually finished first with 62 wins. Well, they, well, they were 31 and 15 at this point, so they must have lapped the Jazz. So anyway, in uh, so that was what was going on in the NBA at this point. In the NHL, now this season, I was confused. This hockey in 95, of course, is when the uh, strike happened. They they did they didn't start the season until January, so that's only half a season. So there's not a lot of games, but there were uh, eight games on this day, February 15th, 1995. Uh, in terms of our PTB teams that uh, everybody roots for, uh, Rangers beat Buffalo, uh, the Whalers uh, beat Montreal, Devils won, and that's that. So very early on, there's only 14, between 12 and 14 games played, so I won't even get into the standings. But this was, this was the year that the, uh, that mm-hmm. the league had the uh, strike and they started halfway through the season, so... All right. Uh, one more thing, of course, and it's it's like I said, Jr. It's worked out with the calendar because um, on the nights that there's pay-per-views, on a Sunday in 2009 is a Thursday in 1995 because mm. on the night, February 15th, we have another amazing episode of uh, Beverly Hills 90210. Now, 
Right, it was still Thursdays. It hadn't moved yet, right? Was it still Thursdays in 95? I think it was, right? Uh, I don't know. It might have been Wednesdays. Did it move to Wednesdays by this point? Oh. Anyway, uh, this episode was called Stormy Weather. Hmm. Uh, Brandon seeks Dylan's help with both taking down Professor Finley's cult-like organization and reuniting with his girlfriend. But when it comes to Kelly, all bets are off. Brandon then tries to talk with Chancellor Arnold to help him look for a former Finley cult follower to help before both Kelly and Dylan fall under Finley's power. Also, Ray tries to cut ties with Valerie, who threatens to tell Donna about their sexual trysts. So, which of course happened every episode for about three months. <laughs> yeah, they moved to Valerie. Wednesday starting in season three. So they, they've been there now for a while. Oh, okay. right. Wednesday. Wednesday at okay. eight. They started Thursday at oh. nine for two years and then Wednesday at eight. Wednesday at eight, yep. Um, yeah, I feel like every episode for about two months uh, was Ray trying to cut ties with Valerie, who dangled their trysts in front of Donna. So right. I feel like that. So anyway, so with that, uh, that is your Pop Culture Corner. I am excited that uh, our buddy Rocco Martone confirmed for me on one of the most recent 90210 uh we did the mm-hmm. episode called Ashes to Ashes. And I speculated during the episode that I felt like a backdoor pilot. Um, that's the one with Vivica A. Fox where the new family moves in. Oh, right. Yes. Yep. It, it really felt like a backdoor pilot. Like the way it's I think it totally presented. Was. And it was. He confirmed. He, yeah. he, he did some digging um, and uh, confirmed for me that it, it definitely was an attempted backdoor pilot, but it, it failed because it was the lowest rated. It actually ended up being the lowest rated episode in the history of the show. Oh, that's Which rough. Is, yeah, and there have been some shittier episodes. And there's been some worse episodes than that. So <laughs> That speaks <yeah>. volumes. <laughs> So, all right, uh, let's go ahead and move forward then to the future as we're going to talk No Way Out 2009. <laughs> Live February 15th from the Key Arena in Seattle, Washington. 11,200 in attendance, 272,000 buys. It is the 10th edition of No Way Out, also the last one. You know, Steve, do you have the notes pulled up? Do you want to read them? <laughs> it's your gig, man. You want to, you want to take them? I know, reading uh, reading your notes to you is a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Um, okay. um, yeah, I can, yeah, I can do that. Um, well, like you said, this is the 10th edition of No Way Out, and it would be the last until 2012. Uh, this is Washington State's second pay-per-view, uh, with the last one being WrestleMania 19 from 2003, which was also in the city of Seattle. Mm-hmm. And on uh, January 27th of, this, of uh, last month, uh, WWE The Music Volume 9 Voices was released. I bought all it. Right, there I you go. That. I did too. I had that album. I was all in on uh, Orton's theme. I, I just, I loved it. The minute I heard, first minute I heard it, I loved his theme. Usually it takes me a while for entrance themes, but I loved Orton's right out of the gate. So. All right. All right. We uh, had a dark match on this night to Melina and uh, battled Beth Phoenix for the women's title. So our women's championship match was actually a dark match there. And mm-hmm. of course, Beth, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Melina uh, retained her title. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that'll take us into the actual show. So we'll go ahead and move forward. We get a dramatic opening video recapping the Shane McMahon, Randy Orton, and Shawn Michaels JBL feuds. Jim Ross and Taz and welcome us in. And we are right into it. We're going to start very hot with our SmackDown Elimination Chamber match featuring Edge, 
Triple H, Jeff Hardy, The Undertaker, Big Show, and Vladimir Kozlov battling for the WWE Championship. Uh, Steve, you want to tell us what took us to this point? Yes, so on the uh, January 30th SmackDown, uh, General Manager Vicky Guerrero announced an Elimination Chamber match for the WWE title, as Edge would then cut a promo bragging about winning the title back at the Royal Rumble. And that night saw The Undertaker defeat Mark Henry, Big Show defeat Festus, and Triple H defeat uh, Kozlov and Great Khali in a triple threat uh, to qualify. Uh, the next week on 2-6, uh, Kozlov would win a last-chance battle royal to qualify, and Vicky announced that Jeff Hardy would be added to the match as part of his rematch clause. And in the main event of that evening, uh, Taker and Triple H defeated Edge and Show in a tag match after Show knocked Edge out and walked out on him uh, while Taker pinned Edge to win the match. On uh, 2-13, Vicky announced that Edge had suffered a neck injury and would not compete that night, though he would still compete at No Way Out, and Edge vowed to leave uh, as champion until Big Show confronted him, and Vicky would put Show in a match, la- match that night. Uh, later in the evening, Jeff would cut a promo talking about his career to that point, as well as his brother Matt Hardy costing him the title back at the Rumble, as he vowed to regain the title at No Way Out, and in the main event that evening, Triple H, Taker, Show, and Kozlov competed in the Fatal 4-Way, which ended in a no contest when Triple H, Taker, and Kozlov were all laid out, and Edge would give Show the spear to be the last one standing. And interesting uh, fun fact I read about it, um, with this win, uh, Triple H sets the record for the most wins in an elimination chamber with four. All right, good stuff. So let's go ahead and get into the match itself. Uh, we're starting hot. Undertaker's out first. And the crowd is rocking. Big Show's in next. Looks like making a slice of that feud. Uh, Vladimir Kozlov lumbers out. He's still hanging around the title picture. In comes Hunter. And then we get our two uh, entrants, which is Jeff Hardy. Gets a really big pop. JR basically says this is his rematch from the Royal Rumble. And per Vicky Guerrero, edges out last. And the champion will have to go the whole way to retain. Hardy and Edge start fast with the flurry of strikes. Hardy gets the first near fall. Edge takes over. Russell Party was usual methodical offense, but Hardy comes roaring back with a quick stick and move. The crowd is rocking here as Hardy hits a twist of fate but misses a swanton. Edge tries a spear, but Hardy sidesteps and Hardy gets an inside cradle and eliminates the champion. Edge loses a shit, but the title is now going to be guaranteed to go somewhere else. The champ is cooked. A pretty fun, shocking moment. This is well done. It was different. Not something you'd see. I mean, you might have had Edge losing, but maybe like later going out. But having him go out before anyone else even enters the chamber was wild and uh, really well done. The buzzer sounds. Vladimir calls off as the next. He tries to bully Hardy. Jeff fends him off. Comes off the middle rope, but Vlad drills him with a battering ramp to the chest and gets to work using the chains to help with his power offense and his strikes, focusing on the side and lower back, pulling and grinding. Uh, and and uh, Hardy keeps trying to stay alive. Hardy rages back with a drop kick and a whisper in the wind as the clock hits zero. Show rumbles into booze, goes right at Hardy with punches and a big throw. Vladimir regroups. He helps Show beat on Hardy. A very slow big boy beat down from there as two hostages just alternate smacking Hardy around until Vlad finally turns and battering rams Show. They end up shoving each other around. Hunter's in fifth. He goes right at Show and then Vlad cutting through both knees and punches and sticks and moves. As Vladimir and Show stooge around for him, Show slaves Vlad from a pedigree on the steel. We slow back down into a tag match with Show and Vlad grinding on Hardy and Hunter. The crowd fires up an Undertaker chant as Taker shadow boxing in the chamber. Show press slams Hunter as the dominance continues. He scoops up Hardy and drives him into Hunter into the cage wall, but they duck and Show runs himself into the chains. Hardy and Hunter heat up. They wipe out Vlad, but when Hardy kicks Hunter and old friends get into it, Taker finally enters as the crowd is nuclear now. He peppers Vlad with strikes, snake eyes, and a big boot. He smacks around Hunter and Hardy as well until Show attacks. 
Taker comes back and takes down Show and DDTs him on the steel. Vladimir nails Taker and batters him in the corner, but that's a bad move because Taker walks out with the last ride and Vladimir is cooked. Taker then walks into a show choke slam. Show blocks a pedigree and press slams Hardy into the game as Vladimir leaves. Hardy goes on top of one of the pods, but Show pulls his leg through the chain and follows up and slugs away. Taker scales behind and hits a massive superplex on Big Show. Hunter then hits Show with a pedigree and Hardy finishes him with a swanton as Hunter covers and Show is eliminated. A great sequence of finishes there. Taker then dodges a whisper of the wind. He throws down with Hunter, shoots him off to the steel. Hunter breaks up old school, but Hardy uses Taker to leap off into Hunter with a body block. Taker drags Hardy back in the ring and wrecks him with a tombstone. And that ends Jeff's night. So he's out, not going to regain his title. And that leaves us with Undertaker and Triple H. As we reset, we get a slugfest in the ring onto the steel. Hunter comes off the top right into a choke slam, but he kicks out at two. Taker gets snake eyes, but he turns into a spine buster for a close near fall. They struggle near the ropes. They have a quick counter. And Taker wrecks Hunter with a tombstone to a huge pop. But Hunter gets his foot on the rope in a great near fall. Crowd is losing it as Triple H hits the pedigree uh, for two. And we get into a big slugfest. Hunter makes the same mistake as Vlad did in the corner. And floats out of a last ride. Hits another pedigree and wins the title to booze. Not to cheers of The Undertaker. Winning. Though this started well, Edge gets taken out, but then slowed way down for a bit before picking up once before Taker got in. Uh, I thought from there we get some slow, uh, big spots and a red-hot crowd through the finish. Hardy really showed well, proved he's still a top guy, hanging in to almost the end. The last stretch with uh, Hunter and Taker was really great. They really went all out. Tons of great uh, counters and teases carried the match on their backs, I thought, to a hot finish. So Hunter's back on top of SmackDown after some back and forth in the winter. Uh, I went four stars. Scott, again, I thought it's a really great chamber. I think it's kind of overlooked for how good it is. Um, obviously, we know how you feel about Triple H, but did you think it was time for him to get back uh, back to the title? Um, <clears throat> I also gave it four stars. Uh, the total time ended up being 35-55, so kind of a sprint for a chamber. Mm-hmm. Um, well, think about, the, think about the timeline here. It's February. It's the last pay-per-view before we head to Houston. So you got to think to yourself, what are they planning on? Uh, Jeff winning would be stupid, depending on who it was. I mean, if Jeff won the title, then you're thinking that the that the that his match at Mania would be against Matt. And love both those guys to death, and I may get some shit for this, but that's not a WrestleMania main event. <laughs> Sorry, it's just not. Um, Big Show winning, I'd blow my brains out, and I think most of us would. Uh, Vladimir, same. Uh Taker and Triple H, well, Edge losing, obviously. Um, little do we know what would happen, but. And what the feud is at the moment. So, Orton has a guaranteed title match on April 5th in Houston against somebody. Now, does Triple H winning here pretty much confirm that it's going to be Orton and him? Because obviously it's not a secret anymore that Triple H and Stephanie are married. So um, is that where they're leading, considering what storyline Orton's in at the moment? Uh, Taker winning would have been cool. Uh, but at the moment, you don't know where that would be leading. Mm-hmm. So 
should Triple H have won again uh, in any other time of the year? Probably not. Probably not. But I think considering who's who won the Rumble and what the plan is for obviously that title for that belt, it made sense. Uh, obviously, we look ahead later in the show for the other belt. Then we we get you know, then we figure out why this ended the way it did. But at the moment, yeah, I could see people getting people with the booze. Like, all right, we love you as a face trips, but yeah, Taker hasn't won the belt in, well, I guess it was a year. So mm-hmm. like, it's not like Taker hasn't just been champion. So I don't get that either, but, um, but I, I think that's what it is. I think before we, you know, we get too crazy, just have to remember that where we, what the landscape is at the moment, if this was like, you know, September or something. Yeah, I get, I could see that definitely that, but I think simply because we kind of know what the story is being told at the moment, Steve, uh, what the what the the the, the end game was here, end game, haha, uh, what we were doing here. So were there better choices? There's always, I mean, yeah, I guess. But considering where we're going, this was the right move. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I really love the match. I actually went four and a quarter. I thought it mm-hmm. was a really fun chamber match. One that, like you said, doesn't get talked about enough. Um, you know, I think all the guys in there were, you know, good were good picks to be in there. You know, Kozlov, yeah, but you know, he did he did well enough um, in the match. Uh, I like like you guys were stunned that Edge got knocked out as quickly as he did. Um, you kind of you know expected him to be in there until at least till the very end for him to get bounced um before the first chamber opened was uh, was shocking um but it you know if anything it gave jeff uh basically got jeff some revenge for the rumble um i liked a little um i liked that little um seg- sequence there with um showing kozlov going back and forth with jeff as their um basically their ping pong ball um as they basically showed off their their strength until they turn on each other um and yeah, then, you know, Triple H and Taker came in and, you know, it was, you know, big spot to big spot. Um, some cool little matchups like, you know, Taker and Kozlov was a fun little, you know, matchup there. Taker and Jeff um, was cool to see again because we hadn't seen that in a while. Um, they definitely kept show pretty strong by having him take, you know, that, you know, the, the, the basically the finishers um, to get eliminated. Um, yeah, I think once we knew going in, especially after Edge was eliminated, we kind of, I think it was kind of obvious who was going to win. Because you figure with Jeff now kind of going off to to do this feud with Matt, he probably wasn't going to win. And I think Taker winning would have been would have been cool, like you said. But again, where's where's he going at this point? I think it almost um you were kind of I don't want to say painted to a corner, but you were kind of you know hamstrung a little bit that you had to have Triple H win, given you know the fact that Orton had won the Rumble, and you kind of based on what he's doing right now it kind of seems like that's the natural progression of where we're going to go. So, um, but regardless of that, I think it was, you know, like you said, I think it was a great match. The, like you said, the crowd was really hot for the whole match. Um, you know, kudos to that Seattle crowd for sticking with it throughout that entire 36 minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh, they were rocking. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely were. I agree. Yeah, it was a good match. It was definitely one you just forget. You know, I just, I just mm. one just completely overlooked. And when you look at the, the lineup of guys, you're kind of thinking, well, all right, it could be pretty good. But when you look at it, it's been dudes that have been battling throughout the fall on SmackDown in winter, right? Big Show, Taker, Hunter, Kozlov, Hunter, Edge, and Hardy, ha- Edge and Hardy. <laughs> like they're all, they've all had intertwined. So it's actually a cool little payoff to the the feuds, and it pretty much ends them because we go different directions from here for all these guys. Um, but it's a nice wrap up to what's been the overall um, setup of SmackDown since what 
SummerSlam probably. It, they, yeah. de- definitely through the fall, the fall into, yeah. into here. So yeah. it was done well. It was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. All right, Edge is backstage. He's bitching to Vicky Guerrero. He wants her to restart the match. He blames the ref. Vicky says it's his own fault he lost and then apologizes, and Edge sinks into the couch. Tough night for him. Michael Cole and the King reset us with some footage from around Seattle. We didn't get a video package for our next match, which is Randy Orton taking on Shane McMahon. Orton's backstage. He issues a final warning to Shane. He asks how his dad Vince is doing. He says he's hope tonight he's hoping and praying that their only son will avenge him, but that will not happen. Vince is completely helpless. He'll only be able to watch his son cry and scream for his life as he takes him apart piece by piece. Vince will try to turn away and hope it'll stop, but it will not. He will not stop until he's destroyed the entire McMahon family, and that will be his legacy. And when it's over, Shane and Vince can watch him take his place in the WrestleMania main event. And that's that. I thought, guys, this is an amazing promo. I think Orton completely is an ownership of this character. I was worried that when he got hurt uh, in June, that it was going to derail this all-time run for him. But it has not in any way like derailed anything like he's come back and been right back to being lights out uh, in this character. It's a new twist from what he's doing earlier in the, in 08, but it's still great stuff. So I, I really enjoyed this. Um, and I thought this promo was great, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. I'll get, I'll definitely get more into uh, Orton with my match, but with the match, but he's, he's just locked in. He got, he figured it out, you know, took him a couple of years, but he figured it out. And, uh, you know, he has been a good heel carrying things for most of 08 with and without the belt. And now here he is pretty much at a storyline that's that's only meant for the special. Whenever you get to listen, he got to beat up Vince. Mm-hmm. I mean, not not everybody gets to do that. So. Take that for what it's worth. You know what I mean, Steve? Oh, yeah, he's he's on fire at this point. He's this is probably like the best he's looked in his entire career. Yeah, I mean, he's on fire right now, and it's it's just going to continue on. Um, so it does set up our next match, which I mentioned. Is Shane McMahon taking on Randy Orton, Steve? How do we get to this match? Well, on January 26th, Raw, Legacy opened the show with several lawyers and a therapist as Orton admitted that he had intermittent explosive disorder, or IED, and was provoked by Vincent Stephanie as he refused to take any responsibility for his actions. And he said that he would sue the company if he was fired or lost his main event spot at WrestleMania, as Legacy had also threatened to walk away if Orton was fired. Orton then read a written statement apologizing to Vince and the McMahon family as Stephanie watched from backstage. And at the end of the night, she would come out and call Orton out as he came out with Legacy, his lawyers, and the therapist. They would remind Stephanie that the company knew of Orton's condition, as Orton threatened to file an injunction to keep WrestleMania from happening. And then the rest of the roster would come out on the stage as Orton vowed to take them down with them. He tried to then goad Stephanie into firing him, though she said that that would be too easy. And then Shane would make his surprise return and would brawl with Orton until Legacy helped him escape. On the uh, February 2nd Raw, Shane would cut a promo as he brought up Orton Orton challenging him to a match at No Way Out, which Shane would accept as he demanded it be a no-holds-barred match. And Orton would then come out as he said the only reason he didn't fight back last week was because the roster was keeping them apart. He said he would put Shane in the hospital right next to Vince, and he would come to the ring as Rhodes and DiBiase came out through the crowd, but Shane would grab a kendo stick and keep them all at bay. Later in the evening, Shane and Stephanie were walking backstage when Legacy attacked them, and at one point, Orton looked like he was going to punch Stephanie in the head, but Shane would save her as he took the kick right to his back. Uh, then on February 9th, Orton cut a promo on the stage vowing to become champion at WrestleMania and that no McMahon could stop him. 
and he said he had no intention of kicking Stephanie in the head as he just wanted to send a message to Shane. In the main event that evening, Orton would lose to The Undertaker by DQ when Legacy got involved, and Shane would make the save, and Taker hit the choke slam on, te- on uh, DiBiase as Shane would then grab the trash can and use it to hit the coast-to-coast on DiBiase. All right, so kind of out of nowhere, not only this angle, but this feud and this match, but it's red hot. I mean, Orton, Orton destroying this family. You can kind of see where it's likely headed now that Hunter is a champion, um, but Let's see how it plays out here as we have a stop. Quite the turn. Again, Orton explains the new medical issue, why he's not responsible for these actions. He's taking that anger out of the McMahons. Orton saunters out. It's a madman look in his eyes. Shane is more stoic and focused than usual. He's not doing his usual boxing and dancing. Shane tosses some punches to start. He shrugs off an Orton jab and knocks Randy to the floor and meets him with a baseball slide. Shane pulls out a table. He shoves a trash can in the ring, but Orton catches him with a backbreaker. Back in the ring, Orton works the back, uses an exposed turnbuckle. Cole and King talk about whether Shane can control his emotions here. Orton stalks Shane and batters the back as the crowd is booing him. Shane catches him with a kendo stick to the head. More shots all over his body. Back outside, Shane pace Orton with a monitor, slicing him open. Shane puts Orton in the outs table. Heads up top, a legacy comes out, and they beat Shane down as Orton recovers. Shane's able to battle back when Cody smacks DiBiase with a chair by accident. Shane DDTs Cody on the chair. We see Steph watching nervously as Orton's out pouring blood. Shane sets up Cody in the corner with a trash can and smashes him with a coast-to-coast. Shane goes back up top and tries a big elbow, but Orton moves, and he crashes through the table on the floor. Orton regroups with his crew. He tells DiBiase to take Cody to the back to make sure he's okay. This is a funny moment. He's a very caring boss. He's like, take him, make sure he's okay. Orton <laughs> hits the ha- hanging DDT, but Shane kicks out. Orton sets up a table and suplexes Shane through it for two. Just a great bump there. Orton shoves Shane back into the busted table and stomps away. Shane gets a desperation spear. Shane grabs a chair and smacks Orton with it in the back. And the leg is Orton shakes and rides and grunts in pain. Amazing selling. Shane loads up and crushes Orton in the head with a chair and then stands over him. Orton slowly sits up half dead. Shane sets up a punt, but Orton pops up and hits a snap RKO to win the match. This was a great blood feud match. Just two guys destroying each other with anger and hate. It felt really street fight, like a real street fight for their lives. The selling was on point by both guys. A real good fuck fest type match. It wasn't overdone. It felt real. The blood was good. Orton's just completely on fire right now. And Shane stepping up to hang with him and tell the story was good. I, I thought this is one time where Shane didn't get overexposed. You know, I think in the up in the buildup is kind of some meme worthy stuff with some of the punches and shit. But here just felt like a real war. Um, I think it's overlooked as one of Shane's better matches as well uh, during this feud. So this thing continues to deliver. I went three and three quarters, Steve. Uh, it just completely caught me off guard with how good this was. Yeah, I agree. I went. Um, I actually went four stars. I I love this match. I thought it was. I hadn't seen this match in a long time, and I my early mem- mem- memories of it were like that it was okay, but not great. But mm-hmm. man, was I wrong? This was fantastic. Um, it's funny. I remember when uh, when Orton cut that promo and said that he had uh, that he had IED. You know, that became like a running joke on the internet because everyone was like, "Oh, that's one of the side effects of steroid use." And you know, <laughs> I, I just I just remember that you know going around a lot. But um, but he, I mean, he's definitely has been like you said, he's been on fire with his character. His in ring work is you know on point, and these two just had great chemistry. Um, they beat the crap out of each other. I I forgot Orton even bled in the match, so that was you know a cool little touch to see him um, bleed off that camera uh, that uh, monitor shot. Mm-hmm. Um, great spot by uh. Shane doing the coast to coast on Cody. Uh, he took that trash can flush. Um, 
So that was a great spot. Then uh, Shane missing the elbow going through the table was uh, was another good little spot. And I mean, yeah, just like you said, a lot of anger, a lot of just you know violence personified, and you know great um t- first tease by Orton with the punt, and then Shane countered it with the spear, and then like you said, or- Shane himself was going for the punt, but then. Orton caught him with a really nice RKO, yes, it was literally, really good. literally out of nowhere. So, uh, you know, great job on that one. And then um, at the end there, when Shane's kind of, you know, recovering, Orton almost looked like he was going to try it again, but he, you know, he was still favoring his legs, so he thought twice about it. Um, but yeah, just a really great match. This has been a really hot feud, um, and you really just, you know, you're now looking forward to seeing what's going to happen going forward. So I, I, I don't know about you, Scott, but I love this match more than I had ever remembered. I thought I would. Uh, I gave, I actually graded it very high. I gave it four and a quarter. Um, this is the things, this was the kind of match at the time, uh, that Shane can do. Uh, that's not overwhelming. Like this isn't something we needed to do. Um, you know, seven years from at this point, but at this point, this was a lot of fun for uh, for Shane, and you had um, and tr- and uh, Orton just was <clears throat> Orton was just in another another level at this point. He understood what was in front of him. He understood what uh, you know what the landscape was. He is the guy. He's the man right now, uh, and he's using every bit of charisma he has as a lethal weapon uh, to get to where we need to go, you know, six weeks from now. So I, I was just so impressed with everything about this match in terms of the brutality of it, the psychology of it, the storytelling. This is one case where having all these McMahons actually helps rather than hurts. Uh, you know, historically, yeah. too many, you know, too many cooks spoil the pot, too many McMahons spoil the storyline. Um, but this was a case where it was okay. Because Orton, you want Orton to knock them all out. Mm-hmm. You know, you wanted Orton to, and now we get to, you know, after, you know, he's taken out Vince, he's taken out Shane, and now from here on out, after we just saw what happened in the previous match, it's down to uh, husband and wife or, you know, sister and brother-in-law mm-hmm. or whatever the hell it is. Um, so it was just amazing. And I love Cody and, and DBI. They're just so good. I mean, everything about this in terms of just building. And, you know, right now, we're at a point where the WrestleManias are not like the builds are not as predictable as they used to be, or they would become. We're in kind of an interesting window in WWE history uh, between, you know, late two thousands into like the mid 2010s. I would say sometime between like 2007 and like maybe 2015, 16, it definitely feels like maybe even 2014, it feels like every year there's there's less predictable right. WrestleMania match storylines. And obviously we'd be using more, you know, front end celebrities. But uh, you didn't know where they were going. And now you know where they're going. And we were and we were treated to a, a, an amazing match that historically these these February matches involving Royal Rumble winners usually throw away shit. This match was not throw away shit at all. I mean. You know, this kind of reminds me of like Sean and Owen at In Your House 6. Like, you know, a match that doesn't affect anything for Mania from a title perspective, but we're entertained with a great, solid, right. fun mid-card fight. I loved yeah. it. It was great. It was, it great. was really good. Definitely better than anything I remembered. Um, all right. 
Let's go right back to the ring for our next match, and that is Jack Swagger defending the ECW Championship against Finley. Steve, any uh, build to this match? Well, on uh, the January 27th ECW, uh, Swagger was preparing for a championship celebration until he had discovered that someone had stolen the belts. And at the end of the night, he came out with General Manager Teddy Long and his assistant Tiffany as they demanded that the culprit reveal themselves. Finley would then come out and help Hornswoggle out from another ring as it was re- as it was revealed Hornswoggle had the belt. And he would and he would look to give it back only for Swagger to shove him to the mat. And Finley would then hit Swagger with the title before handing it back to Teddy Long. On the uh, February 3rd ECW, Finley would defeat Swagger in a non-title match to end Swagger's undefeated streak. And it was announced then that Finley would get the title shot at the pay-per-view. On the 210 ECW, Swagger cut a promo on Finley and, cal- and called out Hornswoggle. However, he was interrupted by the returning Christian, making his surprise return to WWE. Mm. And he would challenge the winner of the pay-per-view to a title match, and Swagger insulted him, which led Christian to knock him down. And in the late uh, main event that evening, Christian would defeat Swagger in a non-title match after Finley hit Swagger with the shillelagh while Hornswoggle distracted the ref. And I don't know about you guys, but I remember being legitimately surprised to see Christian uh, come back because I do not remember at that time any rumors that he had left TNA and that was he was even coming back. So it was a legitimate, you know, great shock to uh, to see him. Yeah, it was a pretty big surprise for sure. And it was such a random way to return him on ECW TV. Like, I guess to try to make it kind of like anything can happen on any of these shows. But um, I know there was some angst around that time. Like, oh, they're making him look kind of silly by being on ECW. But it kind of works as a soft reset back into the company. Like, he ends up really being pretty good on ECW before transitioning back out. So I liked it. Uh, It was definitely surprising at the time. I mean, he was such a mainstay of TNA since he had arrived there in 05. Uh, honestly, one of the top guys as the company really set itself up as, you know, being more than just a, a wannabe company, right? 05 to 09 is really when they established themselves as number two and are probably yep. the closest they were to being a legit number two was during that stretch when Christian and then Angle and Sting and other guys are there. So, yeah, it was a good pickup, though. I was, I was glad to see him back for sure. Yeah, I mean, quickly, you got <clears throat> because. The, the mid-card in 09 and in 08 and 09 in TNA was so good. And you had Christian. He was a good heel and a good face. He was NWA champion. It was during that time that they split off and they were just, you know, they had their own NWA left and TNA became its own thing. Um, I had no problem with Christian and TNA because what's funny is I wish I feel like people should have been in reverse. They should have been happy that he's going to be a main event guy in 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 ECW, whereas if he went to Raw or SmackDown, he would have been totally lost. He would have just been mired in the muck, and everybody would have been pissed off anyway. So might as well have him in the one brand where he could probably shine and be a star and a world champion, then go to Raw or SmackDown and end up being Edge's bitch or, you know, Yeah, whatever. that was the name value guy. We we saw what that right. value can add with, with Matt with uh, Matt yeah. Hardy there, right, the back end of OA, too. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's good. Totally. I had no problem with it. All right, Swagger is out first. He's pacing ECW's champion. Um, this is a good match to help him grow. Todd Grisham and Matt Stryker come in. The good choice, uh, again, to challenge with Finley, having Swagger battle vets, building a resume. Finley has Hornswoggle with him, as always, works the leg. As Stryker mentions the return of Christian, 
The crowd is a bit checked out as Swagger ducks a charge. Finley bangs hard into the buckle. Swagger works the arm. He gets two on a nice shoulder breaker. Keeps things on the mat. Swagger has good pop in his strikes, but the crowd's just not feeling it after that last match. And the chamber. I mean, that's a tough back-to-back to get the show started, to, to stick with it. Fin- Finley gets two on a cross body block. Striker bitches about Hornswoggle being a distraction. Gets two on a senton. Hornswoggle gets on the apron. Swagger kicks Finley into him. Deadlifts Finley up into a gut-rich powerbomb and pins him to retain his belt. I thought the matches worked fine, but the crowd was definitely checked out. It, it, was, a, it was a real cooler spot here. I thought Swagger looked good overall, um, but it was just too slow, um, I, I thought. It was a fine idea, but not the right time for a grinder match after the last match. Swagger looked great in the finish. We'll see if Finley uh, family issues come of this at all. I also thought they could have put the women's match here to vary up the card and just left the ECW title off of this one. I think they could have done Beth and Molina maybe would have been at least a different vibe after what we just got to just have this grinding um, match between two Mac guys just, just didn't really click after the brawl. So I went two stars, Scott. I like Swagger's offense. Like, I think it's good. I just think it was, it was much too slow of a match. Yeah, I, uh, I gave it two stars. Um, incidentally, your match time, and I was actually pretty pumped about this. I, just, I meant to mention this earlier. The Orton Shane match time was 1816. They gave them plenty of time. Uh, the match, the the time for this one, 7.53. I, I am not a fan of babyface Finley. I just don't think he wrestles the same. He comes out with a stupid fucking hat on like he was just shit-faced at the bar on St. Patrick's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love I love Finley better as a heel. He's more vicious, he, he, more strikes. Uh, I, I, I don't like when he wrestles as a face. I like Jack Swagger, actually, and I mentioned it on our last show when he wrestled at the Rumble. Uh, I like the character, the all-American, the all-American. Like, he he kind of was channeling that inner Orton from four years ago where he was kind of a frat boy douche jock asshole. Yeah, no, he was good. This this you one know, didn't resonate. Like, yeah. But I get it, too. You're not going to do, like, a, a wild brawl after just having those two matches. It was just a, a tough spot. That's why I think maybe the women, not to put them in a cooler spot, but they at least, like are different and, and maybe Beth does a couple of cool power spots or something. So, right. I think that could at least, and, and you get them on the show, which they deserve. So not that right. the ECW guys don't, but I think it would at least would add a little variance to the card after a, a, like a rocking start. Right. Yeah. No, I, 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 I mean, this match wasn't bad, Steve. I gave it two stars, but I just, I just don't like babyface Finley as, a, uh, you know, his move sets different. His attitude's different. I, I like him better as a heel. Hmm. Yeah, I went um, two and a quarter. I thought it was a decent little match. Um, they really get put a lot of faith in Swagger because they gave, you know, they debuted him, you know, in the summer. And then just a few months later, he's now the champion. And, you know, they got him on a big spot here in the pay-per-view against a, a longtime veteran. Um, like you said, it was kind of in a tough spot, you know, like, you, um, you know, coming off those two red hot matches and, you know, the crowd definitely was checked out. Um, this was definitely the, unfortunately the spot where everyone was either going to the restroom or getting a drink or, uh, mm-hmm. or, a, or a hot dog or something like that. Um, I thought Finley was a fine choice. Um, like you said, you know, I mean, he's a good worker. He's a good veteran presence, but I think this um, kind of showcases the sort of lack of depth on ECW. Um, I think that's partially why they had Christian come in when they did was that cause you, was to kind of establish the fact that he's going to be the top face on the on the brand um, and be pros- possibly the next challenger for Swagger. So this was trying to just get Swagger through this pay-per-view with a you know solid title defense against a veteran. So, you know, nothing much more to say, say there. It gives, like you said, gives Swagger a quality pay-per-view win, um, mm. but just a really tough spot for for these guys at this at this point in the show. Mm. All right. 
Cole and King catch us up on Shane, who's at the hospital in and out of consciousness. We see Sean praying backstage before our next match, which is the culmination of a pretty good storyline, Scott, that we've we've been into. At least mm-hmm. I've been into it, maybe a little more than you. But uh, that is Shawn Michaels taking on JBL. Steve, what's on the line in this one? Well, this is uh, all or nothing, as it was mm-hmm. um, labeled by JBL. If Michaels does win the match, he would be released from uh, from the contract he assigned with JBL while also being paid all the money that was owed to him. But if JBL wins, he would own Michaels' likeness and name, and Michaels would basically be working for him for the rest of his life. Uh, on the January 26th Raw, JBL announced that uh, Sean would face John Cena in a match to earn JBL a spot in the Elimination Chamber. And JBL confronted Michaels backstage as Michaels explained his actions at the Rumble, and JBL threatened to fire him if he lost. Uh, later that night, Cena would defeat Michaels to keep JBL out of the chamber, and JBL stood over Michaels as he was um, recovering on the mat. On the February 2nd Raw, JBL confronted Michaels regarding his recent failures, though Michaels claimed they were JBL's failures, and JBL would then challenge Michaels to a match with the stipulations in place, which Michaels accepted after some goading. JBL then said Michaels couldn't touch him until the pay-per-view or the deal was off, and he tried to get Michaels to touch him and, uh, and call the match off only for Michaels to walk away. On the February 9th Raw, JBL told Sean that he would be facing Mark Henry in a match that night, and Henry would defeat Michaels by DQ when Michaels hit Sweet Chin Music and kicked the chair back in Henry's face. Uh, JBL would then remind Michaels that if he lost by DQ, he would lose everything, and he told Michaels to bring his wife to the pay-per-view to see how broken down he had become. JBL would then go to Lee before telling Michaels that he would always have a job for Michaels' wife if she wanted it. So... Like you said, a lot of uh, a lot of heat going into this match. All right, they made it work. It was kind of a convoluted premise, but we're here, and I think it's been pretty well set up. JBL's been a great asshole in this, needling Sean on the wife, like you said, Steve. Uh, and it's interesting too. I remember at the time thinking for sure this was going to be blown off in Mania, and I was surprised when they did it here. Obviously, there's bigger things played planned for Mania. It worked out very well that they did it the way they did. But when they started in December, it definitely felt like something that would probably pay off at Mania with Sean putting him away. So of course we're glad it didn't go that way. The crowd snooze it a bit until Sean comes out, and then we get revved up. He greets his wife at ringside. JBL shit talks him to start, using his power to drive Sean back and bully and intimidate. Sean comes on hot with a flurry to drive him outside. Sean keeps bringing the aggression, but JBL knocks him down, drops a heavy elbow. Sean nails the leg and goes to a figure four. Chops away, but JBL throws him hard to the corner. He flies out to the floor. JBL starts to beat on Sean in the ring. Cole wonders if Sean is beaten down for the mental trauma of everything going on. Sean takes a brutal series of punches to the face. JBL goes to a bear hug and grinds away. Sean comes back with some atomic drops and some strikes. But he takes a hard corner bump. JBL loads Sean up top. Sean blocks a super kick, uh, I mean a superplex, and slugs JBL down but whiffs on a big elbow. JBL crushes Sean with a clothesline from hell for two. The crowd is still kind of sleeping here. They pop for the big stuff, but they've uh, they've been in a coma a bit since the Shane match. JBL has another clothesline from hell and glares at Rebecca, then knocks Sean outside for a nine count. I thought that was a cool near finish there. It was a pretty good drama in a different way than normal. JBL chucks Sean back outside. He shit-talks Rebecca some more. Rebecca smacks JBL. And Sean smothers him back in the ring with a quick flurry of offense. The crowd heats up, and Sean eventually hits Sweet Chin Music to win his freedom to a big pop. I think it's a pretty good match, story-wise. I mean, JBL's really rebuilt himself as a stoic bully that beats guys into mush. We saw that kind of start with the Cena feud and has gone on since then. 
Sean was on point, as always, with his comebacks and his timing. He's fighting for his life in a believable way. The crowd was asleep through most of it, which didn't help. But the work itself was worthy of a blow-off. Like, it was fine. Uh, Sean wins. He puts it to bed. We'll see where he goes on to the road to Mania. It's very quick from here. Uh, but he gets his money. He's uh, financially free again, Steve. And I went two and three quarters. I, this is a fine blow-off to a, a solid storyline to keep Sean busy. Yeah, I'm with you. I went two and three quarters as well. Um, this was a, actually a really fresh um, matchup for Sean. We never, these two never really had interacted much with each other until you know they started this this thing back in the late '08. Uh, so it was you know a good little um, kind of fresh feud there for Sean. Um, I mean, like you said, the story itself was kind of convoluted, but the um, overall ending we got was was good. Um, you know, they had some good chemistry with each other. Um, like you said, kind of you know. Un, unlike the crowd to be kind of dead for a Sean match, um, given how popular he was. Um, yeah, those two uh, clotheslines from hell, clotheslines from hell that JBL cr- uh, hit Sean with really just were, were nasty. Um, I'm surprised you know they didn't take Sean's head off. And I remember going into this match, the fact that you know Rebecca was at ringside, um, and the fact that they were doing this match here and not WrestleMania. Part of me almost kind of thought to myself. Are they actually going to have Rebecca turn heel on Sean and help JBL win? Because because uh, I thought that may have been a you know an interesting little possibility. And then you build to the rematch at Mania with Sean getting his win back. But I am glad that they did not go that route. That they um, ended it. They did end it here with Sean getting the the clean win to kind of put this feud to bed. Um, so again, interesting feud. Good little payoff here. Um, and the crowd did pop big when Sean, when Sean won, even though they were, like you said, kind of out, out of it for most of the match. But, um, like you said, if, um, it would have been interesting to see if they had continued the feud here, um, and into WrestleMania, but I think, uh, Scott, you'll agree that it's a good thing that they did not. Oh, obviously <laughs> hindsight is definitely correct here. Uh, 13, 17, 17, your match time here. Uh, I agree. Uh, I gave this two and a half. I didn't hate it. And JR's right. I mean, if you remember the Rumble, and we even kind of mildly talked about it, Armageddon 08. Um, when I first thought about it, I'm thinking, this this, this storyline is stupid. <laughs> this is dumb. Why would Sean play the market? Like, that's just so not Sean. But it's <clears throat> when you get down to it and you get to the back end of it, the storytelling got better. And then anytime you bring, you know, Rebecca's perfect to bring in mm-hmm. because she's a perfect she's a perfect uh, plot twist ever since, you know, Jericho punched her in the face. Uh, she's she's kind of brings a good something to the story. So I, I'm not going to lie, uh, Steve. I, I, I kind of agree with you. I thought like I thought she was going to turn on join JBL and start dressing all scantily and everything. I don't know. But. <laughs> Well, it would have made uh, sense uh, because – well, sorry, but it would have made sense because then Rebecca could have called back to um, to SummerSlam when uh, she could have said that Sean led to her getting punched by Jericho. <laughs> so that, that would have, been the, that would have right. been the perfect out. Listen, Sean's been out of the business long enough. He was not letting his wife go with anyone else in the storyline. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we're talking um, – you know, was she going to call herself Whisper again? <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't know. Yeah, he, he, but, was uh, not, he was not no. getting involved in that. No, I uh, – I, I thought this was a great ending. I thought the story, I don't think the storyline could have lasted another six weeks. I don't, I don't think it was that good. I mean, no, it got no, better. Definitely not. it got better, but I don't think this would have lasted six more weeks all the way to wrestling. I meant more when it started, it seemed like that's what they were mapping toward, but right. Yeah, they would, they would have had a really, they would have had to do something like that where something happens with family, you know, whatever it would have had to be, it would have had to really intensify. 
Like, what were they going to do? Like, like uh, you know, banks come and kick them out of their house and they're living in a hotel or you know, whatever, walking to homeless shelters. Like, knowing Sean, that probably would have been, like, some kind of thing because that seems very emotional for Sean. But obviously we're glad they didn't do that because we had better fish to fry down the line. But, uh, I mean, the match itself is fine. You know, it's Sean. So, you know, you're not going to get a total piece of crap. But, you know, Sean just sees who his opponent is, kind of fits in the puzzle piece and, and rolls with it. And, all right, here's a guy who doesn't move around a lot anymore and just loves to slug you. I could do that. And he did. So, no problem. Glad the storyline's over. And now we uh, now we wonder, what is next for Shawn Michaels? Because WrestleMania is the stage, of course, last year. The epic farewell match with, uh, with Flair. Where is Shawn going now? Like, that's where you start thinking. Where are we going with Sean now? Because mm-hmm. like, we have yeah, all these guys. Yeah. yeah, we have all these guys floating around. And what what's the deal? Well, we'll obviously get into it down the line. But yeah, that was a fascinating thing. All right, the storyline's over. What do we do with Sean? So that, but the, mat, the match was fine. And it was a good, the, glad the storyline ended. If they were going to have this go to Mania, they should have started it a, a month later. But right. they didn't have to, so we're good. All right. Right. Todd Grisham was with Chris Jericho. He's confident about winning his fifth chamber match and then challenging Ric Flair to come out of retirement and challenging him for the title at WrestleMania or not. He's not going to waste his time in a charity case like Flair, but he is serious about winning tonight. And that sets up our final match of the night. It is the Raw Elimination Chamber featuring John Cena taking on Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio, Mike Knox, Kane and Kofi Kingston. Steve, how do we get here? Well, on uh, the January 26th Raw, it was announced that Cena would defend the title in an Elimination Chamber match, and qualifying matches would happen that night. And also that night, uh, Chris Jericho would talk about the film The Wrestler and mentioned comments that Mickey Rourke had made about him during the Red Carpet premiere. Uh, in the qualifying matches, uh, Kingston defeated Kane, Mysterio defeated William Regal, and Jericho defeated CM Punk to qualify for the for the match. At a Raw ECW house show on February 1st, uh, Knox would win a six-man battle royal to qualify for the chamber. Kind of weird that he he had to qualify on a house show and not on the on the TV. Um, on the uh, February 2nd Raw, Jericho continued to run down the wrestler and called out legends like Jimmy Snuka, Roddy Piper, and Ric Flair, calling them leeches. Uh, but then Cena would appear on the Titantron as he stood up for the legends and vowed to shut Jericho up later that night. Um, also that night, Kane and Knox would team up to defeat Mysterio and Kingston in a tag match. As Stephanie McMahon would give Kane the final spot in the chamber. And in the main event, John Cena would defeat Jericho in a non-title match. Then on the uh, February 9th Raw, Ric Flair would make a surprise appearance as he talked about the wrestler until Jericho interrupted and said he would not have hugged Flair at his retirement ceremony last year if he knew Flair would prostitute himself out to two-bit promoters. Uh, Flair said he had too much respect for Shawn Michaels and WWE to ever wrestle again, (laughs) though he would not retire from the business. And Jericho said that Flair had to be the center of attention, though claimed the fans could care less about him or the other legends. He told Flair to forget about the fans, though Flair refused. And Jericho told him to do his little tricks for the flan- for the fans, uh, but that would leave Flair to punch Jericho in the face, and he would do a strut while Jericho rode out of the ring. And then in the main event that evening, Jericho would team with Knox and Kane to defeat Cena, Mysterio, and Kingston in a six-man tag team match. All right, well, let's get into that match. John Cena heads out first, gets his usual big mixed reaction as the crowd has risen back awake. Mike Knox is out next. Pretty big spot for him in the main event Raw scene here. Kind of been putting around for a while. Kane ambles down after him forever in the main event scene. Kofi Kingston's next, but before he can enter the chamber, Edge attacks him. 
beats him down with a concerto and takes his spot, scooting into the ring and locking himself in the chamber. Uh, pretty sh- shocking twist here. So it's bookending the show with Edge. Obviously, he was pissed. But what happened earlier in the night, and he's back out here now. Pretty shitty for, for poor Kofi. He gets taken out. It was a big spot for him. Uh, Ray Mysterio comes down to check on Kofi. He gets in the chamber. He tries to attack Edge. Jericho's out last, and we get going with Ray and Jericho slow rolling into a Ray flurry, setting the table for a long match ahead. Jericho wrestles smart as always, trying to avoid the big blow. Ray barrels around into him. We get a great spot as Jericho dodges a Ray spear. He flies headfirst into the pod plexiglass. Jericho grinds away, but Ray scales the wall, drops into a nice Rana to take over. Kane's in next. He goes right at Ray and kicks him down. Takes turns smacking both guys around before staring down Edge. Jericho comes back on Kane and works the midsection, but Kane powers through, knocks him hard into the steel, and smashes his knee. We meander along with some more back and forth from all three getting spurts, but nothing strong enough to make progress. Kane blocks a 619, tries a choke slam, but Ray counters to Arana, hits the 619, and Jericho hits the code breaker. Ray scales the pod, hits the seated senton, and eliminates Kane. Pretty surprising there as Ray, I guess, puts a final pin in that feud. Uh, good to get Kane out of the way early. Mike Knox is the next. We kind of rinse repeat. He most both guys, beating on Jericho's back using the chamber. Swats Ray off, and he tries to fly into him. They battle some more until Jericho catches Knox with a codebreaker, and now he's done. Uh, fine showing for Knox, but he's just a guy that never had a chance here. Edge is in next. Ray jumps him before he can exit. He's all over him with an angry flurry to a pop. Jericho cuts down Ray, hammers on Edge, gets a bulldog, but he eats Ray's knees on a lion salt. Edge almost, ta- uh, Edge almost takes him out. Ray trips Edge into the ropes, tries the 619, but Jericho blocks him with a spear. He attacks Edge anyway. Interesting strategy by Jericho. We get a Tower of Doom Super German where Ray takes the worst of it, but no one can take advantage. We actually get a Cena chant as the champ is watching. Cena enters. He goes right at edge. He runs through Ray and Jericho as well, cleaning house to a mixed reaction. Cena hits the five-knuckle shuffle on edge, loads the FU, but Jericho saves edge again, hits Ray with a 619, edge buries a spear, and Cena is eliminated. Huge upset, and Cena is gone quickly uh, again. Surprising. <laughs> like It's a few surprises here tonight. All three guys amp up the effort now. Cena's gone. Ray gets a roll-up to eliminate Jericho to another big pop, and we are down to Edge and Ray Mysterio. Pretty unexpected final two. Ray dodges a spear, gets a close near fall and a roll-up. Ray keeps bringing the heat, gets lots of near falls, but Edge keeps hanging on. Ray empties the chamber. He's trying everything he can, but Edge will not give in. Ray counters a powerbomb with an X-Factor on the steel. Ray charges, and Edge scoops him and catapults him into the pod at a nasty spot. Ray recovers, and Edge mashes him with the spear to win the title. I thought overall this was a fine match. It was a step down for the other chamber earlier in the night, mainly thanks to the crowd being burned out and the lack of captivating talent dominating the open sections of the match. The booking was good, though. You get the lumbering dudes out of the way. You get the shocking scene elimination and sets up Edge's wild night. He opens the champ, closes as a different champ, uh, you know, kind of mimicking it. I think took some steam away when it happened to Cena, though, when Edge got eliminated right away earlier than to have Cena pretty much eliminated right away, too. Uh, I guess wasn't as shocking as it would have been. The path to Mania is still a bit unclear. We have our champions heading in. It's kind of who you thought they were, even though both are on SmackDown, right? It's Triple H and Edge. (laughs) Kind of where we were at like a couple months ago. Uh, Ray had a really nice showing. He's become a top utility player on Raw. And this felt like a coda on Jericho's world title run as well in many ways. Um, You know, something that he's been involved in since the fall. Uh, good spots throughout, a really fun closing sequence. Just not energetic or impactful enough to really close the show on a super strong note. Uh, I, I didn't I didn't like it nearly as much as the opener, but it was still solid, Scott. I went three and a quarter. Um, <clears throat> I went uh, three and a half. I liked it a little bit more. 
Um, but I didn't like it as I, I liked the uh, obviously I like the other one, uh, the, the early one more as well. Um, I have a question I'm going to that I'd like to bring to the to the table here. Um, and I'm saying this about a guy I like, but why are we getting <laughs> it's going to come off as me being defensive about Triple H, but I'm really not. Um, why are we getting crap about Triple H winning yet again? When we're getting now, oh, Edge is just as bad. It's just as bad. I mean, now we have Edge yet again. Now, like the whole storyline's about like, take one yeah. belt off, give him another one. Like it's completely now, it, at least, in. yeah, yeah. It, it it obviously made sense why he was ditched out two seconds into the first match, um, so he wouldn't have to wrestle that one and ended up wrestling this one. But yeah, um, like I really feel like right now that. All right, well, we know Triple H winning the first belt is simply because we're going to get to Triple H and Orton. That's fine. But what the hell do we do now? All right, Edge is champion now on SmackDown. With what? Like, I don't get it now. Like, now I'm now I'm totally lost. Like, what compelling guy is left for Edge going into WrestleMania? Like, is he going to wrestle Taker again? Maybe? Cena is he going to wrestle yeah. Cena again? Batista Could he wrestle again. Sean? Yeah. Could we get Sean? Maybe Sean gets a title shot? I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. So that annoyed me. I got to be honest. That annoyed me just as much as, and yes, Triple H winning obviously meant for the storyline for the future. But at that moment, yeah, oh, geez, he wins again. But the same could be said about Edge. And here we go again. Now these belts are, is it, is it because they're easy mocks to put the belts on for creative purposes? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm just, I, this one definitely confused me. More than Triple H winning. Triple H winning, we get because it's that that that's leading towards Triple H and Orton, which makes perfect sense. But I'm just clueless why we didn't have. I mean, you know, it'd be cool having Ray win or something. I don't know. I mean, you got six weeks because you had you, had, you know this, right. this pay per view is earlier than a normal February show. You have six weeks between now and and WrestleMania. You could do a lot of shit. Mm. Have somebody else win. Have Cena keep it. I don't know. But why do we have to have this? All right, we get it. Edge and Vicky are calling the shots or running SmackDown, and again, yeah, I think I think they wanted to bookend with the story. I mean, yeah, whatever. I just, yeah, I I don't know. Edge, Overall, Edge needs a change. He needs to change up. He needs to do something different. Like I mean, he's pretty much been in the world title picture since '06 at this point. Pretty much Whether it's dominating SmackDown and the mix on Raw. Like I mean, he's pretty much been champion or fighting for the title. In in like three straight years, so pretty much, yeah. Pretty it, as much. good as this, as the, as cool as the idea was, and the bookend of, of the night, it is it felt like okay, like are we really back to Triple H and Edge? <laughs> like, like that's where we were for all of 08, and now we're right back to it for Mania. Um, right. um, and the yeah. positioning is gonna be interesting, right? Because you could assume at this point, uh, Orton as the Rumble winner will likely be involved with Triple H, mm-hmm. not Edge, probably right? More for Triple H. Well, obviously, right. And, yeah. but Triple H is champion, not Orton, right? So, like, how is this going to play out? Because you don't have the face chasing, you have the heel chasing, right? So it's going to be kind of an interesting approach. We'll see how they build right. to it. But yeah, I, I that one makes even that makes a little more sense than uh than than the than the Edge one does. But yeah, I I don't know, Steve. I I enjoyed the match, not as good as the first Chamber match, but Edge winning again is just as annoying as Triple H winning again. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I was the use guy. I did go three and a half. Um, it was a good chamber, but definitely a step down from the from the first one. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, poor Kofi. He doesn't even. Mike Knox gets to be in the match, yet Kofi doesn't. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, obviously it makes sense since I tried to take out a face to get into the match. But um, yeah, I think the real the stars of this match were um were definitely Ray and Jericho. Um, they were a good choice to start. They you know. They dominated the majority of the match. Um, you could tell Kane and Knox were just the extra bias to put in there since they didn't last very long. Um, they both all went. They both went out very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I was shocked when Cena got eliminated that early, that that quickly, as soon as he came out. Like, did, I don't even know if he lasted five minutes in the match. I mean, he hits a couple of its big spots, and then he takes the trio of finishers and then gets eliminated. So. Definitely a, a major shock. I don't know if maybe if he was nursing an injury or something, but it was definitely um, mm-hmm. a shock. Um, and then uh, Ray ends up, you know, knocking out Jericho to end his great night. And yeah, Edge and Ray had a really good heads up there for um, for that last um, like five or six minutes. Um, that's that's um, spot where Edge like launched Ray into the pot. It was just absolutely nasty. I mean, Ray hit that thing with a, with a thud. Uh, mm. I'm surprised he didn't get knocked out from that. I mean, he landed flush on that pe- plexiglass. Yeah. That um, was a nasty spot. Yeah. Um, it was very, uh, Kevin, it was very, uh, Kevin Nash lawn dartish. Mm. <laughs> that kind of reminded me of that, uh, 13 years earlier. Right. Um, as, as far as Edge winning, um, I agree. It does make sense. You know, you put the book in on it that he, you know, he loses the title. He loses one world title earlier in the night and then he leaves with another world title. I think he's actually makes him the first guy to ever do that. Um, but yeah, it does kind of mm. muddy the waters a bit because it's like, we know, like you said, we know it's probably gonna be triple H Norton, excuse me for the WWE title. But now it's like, what does edge do? I mean, he's got, obviously Cena's going to want to rematch and it seems like they're, you know, building something with um with Big Show as well as he's kind of getting more involved with uh, Edge and Vicky. So it's definitely gonna be interesting to see what these next um these next six weeks hold out for um for Mania where we end up going with those uh those two world title matches. Um it does feel I do agree with JT it does feel a little bit same old, same old with Triple H and Edge back on top. Um but I think we know going in that's you know the hotter feud is definitely going to be Triple H Wharton, and that's going to be where a lot of the focus is going to be on. So I think they're kind of just they're I think they can play around a little bit more with the world title and see um, what they're going to do now with um, with Edge and the world title. Yeah, I mean, I would mm-hmm. say like it's one of the most I mean, I guess because it's early. Right. So we got six weeks, but it's definitely we're coming out of this every pay-per-view with very little in place for Mania. Like, you can assume Triple H Orton, but beyond that, like, nothing else is obvious in any way, like, at all. No. I mean, there's no hints nope. of anything. You can assume maybe something with the Hardys, right? And and maybe Jericho Flair or Jericho Mickey Rourke. Like, I mean, that's about it at this point, right? That, that's, like, any kind of potential, so. Mm-hmm. Though that was an interesting thing, too, is, like, yeah, Jericho's a key figure in this match, but most of the, yeah. most of the February build was not even him talking about the match. It was him dealing right. with, uh, with Rourke and, uh, and flair. Yeah. It's clear. He had no shot at like his, his world title run is pretty much done by this point. Uh, he'll, he's a, he'll be a forever gig. He's a guy that can always be pushed up there, but you could tell like, he's not going to be heavily evolved right now. Um, for the world title. Right. So. All right, let's get to our awards to wrap things up. Uh, for MVP, I went, I mean, I, I know he's kind of ripped a lot of the decision-making, but I ended up going with Edge. I mean, he kind of ends the night as the big winner. Um, 
in storyline, yeah, he does. He does. Uh, he does come as the big winner. But I'm sorry, I got to go with Orton. He's just yeah. locked in right now. Everything he's touching. Yeah, I'm gonna change it. I'm gonna change it. Orton. He was great. It's Orton. You know, yeah, Edge was I, just handed a belt out of a storyline. Edge is just locked in right now. Yeah, I agree. Orton definitely um, runner up for me would have but it was um, was Ray for his um, mm-hmm. his performance in the chamber. Um, but yeah, this is definitely um, this is Orton's time right now. All right, LVP. I went with with Hornswoggle. I, I just did not like him at all in that match. He was annoying. Um, you know, he kind of cost Finley. I don't know if they're gonna break them up. I don't know what they're doing, but like I'm kind of played out with that. Like you mentioned it, Scott, in your comments. Like, all right, let's get back to ass kick and Finley. Um, you know, we we mm. did the stupid Vince or something, and then somehow they got pawned off on a Finley through all of 08 to have to be the caretaker of Hornswoggle. And Hornswoggle is good in spots. Like he has some fun bits, and he's you know, he has the cool hardcore stuff here and there, but like in this match on this night, it's really annoyed me. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I would actually put Finley in there as well. Cause like I said, I just hate seeing, I hate him wrestling as a baby face. Mm. The match could have been better. Um, but yeah, just not good. Everybody else is actually pretty good tonight. So it's hard for me to put another, think of another yeah. LVP. So Mm, I I actually I actually went with Mike Knox. Um, he kind of was like um like Kozlov <laughs> in the in the WWE title match where it's like you know he had no shot of winning but he had at least had a chance to um to showcase himself and get us some good shine. Whereas um and whereas um Kozlov um had that mm-hmm. I don't think Knox didn't as well. I mean he just looked you know kind of lumbering out there and then he got you know jobbed out pretty quickly there by Jericho. So I think he, um, unlike, uh, like I said, unlike Kozlov, who did make the most of his opportunity, uh, Knox did not. So he's my pick. I, I definitely, I think Hornswoggle and Finley are good choices, but for me, uh, Knox was just slightly worse. All right. Best match, uh, SmackDown Elimination Chamber for me. Yes. Yep. yep. Okay. Worst match, I think we're all agree, Finley Swagger. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, best moment I went with Orton's RKO to block the punt. I, that was mine too. Yes. Yep. I agree. All right. Surprise of the night. I mean, it's, it's just like edge, right? I mean, edge winning the world title out of nowhere or winning the raw showing up in the raw chamber, winning the title. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I actually thought it was a bigger surprise that Cena got eliminated as quickly as he did. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, too. There were a few. They did. It was actually a pretty good show as far as swerves go. Like, they did a pretty good job uh, mixing things up on this one. Uh, all right. And that brings us just to our final grade. I, I like that. I mean, look, we're continuing our stretch of, of fun shows, of uh, good shows. It's been consistent. We keep saying it every show, Scott. But it's like, you know, everything's above average to, to great since, you know, early 08. Uh, this one's a little bit lower on that scale. So, you know, Survivor Series is a five. I like this better than that, but I didn't like it as much as like Armageddon or the Rumble. Uh, so I ended up going six out of 10. I, I think it was, it started really hot with two great matches and then just kind of slowly dripped from there. Um, I think if the, we needed the Raw Chamber to really like crush it to like make this like, oh shit, this is like a hidden gem show. As it is, it's, it's a hit, couple hidden gem matches on a show that kind of tapers off after the opening. Hmm. Uh, this is a tough one for me in terms of grading because, I mean, I gave uh, the Rumble, I gave Armageddon a seven, and it had two four-star matches, and I gave the Rumble seven and a half, and that only had one four-star match. 
So I feel like in this match, yes, the, the first two are the best and they kind of petered out. But those first two, I mean, four, four and a quarter. Uh, I gotta, I might be overgrading this a bit, but I, I'm going to give this a seven and a half. Uh, I, oh, wow. I think everything about this show was great in the sense that Orton's still locked in. The SmackDown Chamber was great. The Sean JBL match as a standalone was not great, but the storyline and the emotion of Sean winning, because every time Sean wins one of these emotion storylines, it's like the modern day Randy Savage. Everything makes you want to cry and love and all that kind of stuff. He's just good at that. And um, it's just everything about it was good. It, it's a really good show. They locked themselves in. The matches may not have been great on the back end, but they did set themselves up for what we don't know, but they did. Um, so I'm probably overgrading slightly, but if I'm looking at Armageddon, which I had two four-star matches, and I gave the Rumble a seven with one, I got to give this one a better score, Steve. So seven and a half for me. Yeah, it's a very interesting show. I mean, like I said, the, those first two matches were so great, and then we kind of hit that little malaise there in the middle between Finley Swagger and even uh, Michael's JBL, where the crowd was like completely out of it. And then they did pick up a bit for that main event, which you know had the big shock of uh, Edge coming out there. So I think I'm gonna go in a little bit in the middle, go six and a half. Um, I think it's definitely been, it's definitely, uh, I agree with you, better than Survivor Series. Not quite up to the same level as Armageddon or the Rumble. Um, but we're still in a pretty good stretch here. Um, 2009's gotten off to a pretty good start. And depending on what they end up doing for WrestleMania, um, given that it is going to be you know, a big anniversary, you know, you got to remember this is you mm -hmm. know, 2025, so this is a big anniversary yeah. show. Um, so you figure they're probably going to go all out with you know some of the big, you know, big matches they've got coming up. Um, so it's going to be interesting, like like we said, to see how they these next six weeks go to build to that show and make it into a WrestleMania worth the um, worth the anniversary. And also, so quickly, Steve, not to interrupt, but uh, I believe the next night on Raw is when they announce who the Hall of Fame headliner is. And once they do that, then you know that this weekend right. is not just another WrestleMania weekend. So, all right, that's all right. Well. Good one in the book, Scott. We will be back in two weeks for that mm -hmm. special twelfth uh, birthday episode. We'll do mm -hmm. WrestleMania twenty five. We'll have a special guest. We we'll get some other tricks planned along the way as well. So be sure to check mm -hmm. that out. And then we get something cool planned for After Mania. A little break in the action uh, yep. before we get back to the timeline. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that, as well as everything we have to offer here on the PlayStation Wrestling Network, PlayStation Pop Experience, and the North South Connection Podcast Network. We have. All kinds of crazy shit happening. You can find us on our YouTube channel, North South Connection, as well as NorthSouthConnection.com uh, for everything we have to offer, both video and audio. So, with all that said, we will talk to you in two weeks. Everyone take care.
used to make mistakes. 